0: Those papers. Yeah, man. <clears throat> Good, morning. Good morning. Now, since there was no music during the offering this morning I sang during the first service. I know, I don't know what happened. It was in my mind all morning and I was struggling with vertigo this morning and, and I just said, I just gotta say, it, get it out of me, maybe that'll help me. And it did help me. Then someone said, well, are you going to do a second service for them? You know, they deserve the same punishment. I I said, oh, said, oh. And actually, I told the Lord. I said, oh, Lord, I I already got it out. I did it. He's like, no, do it. So I'm going to sing Acapulco. I think the name of the song is Hallelujah Square. I heard it years ago back on cassette. And uh, I liked it. And so, once in a while, it just kept, there's a song in the night the Lord gave me, and so, tune in, tune out, run, whatever you have to And I'm a little raspy, that's my excuse. I saw a blind man tapping along, losing his way as he passed through the throng. Tears filled my eyes, I said, Friend, you can't see. With a smile on his face, he replied to me, I'll see all my friends in Hallelujah Square. What a wonderful time we'll all have up there. We'll sing and praise Jesus, his glory to share and there'll not be one blind man up in Hallelujah Square. I saw a cripple <clears throat> dragging his feet. He could not walk like you do down the street. I said, my friend, I feel sorry for you. But he said up in glory, I'm going to walk just like you. I'll walk with my friends in Hallelujah Square. What a wonderful time we'll all have up there. We'll sing and praise Jesus the glory will share. And will not be one crippled up in Hallelujah Square. I saw an old man gasping for breath. Soon he'd be gone, his eyes closed in death. He looked at me, he said, boy, don't look so blue, I'm going home to see my Savior, now how about you? I'll live with my friends in Hallelujah Square, what a wonderful time! We'll all have up there. We'll sing and praise Jesus. His glory to share. And the saved ones will live forever. Up in Hallelujah Square. Yes, there'll not be one blind man. And there'll not be one crippled. And the saved ones will live forever. Up in Hallelujah Square. Amen. Amen. On that note, we can all leave. (laughs) I don't know why the Lord wanted me to sing that today. But I said, really, Lord? Don't people usually play instruments with those things? But <clears throat> I heard that on a tape, like I said, years ago. And uh, I don't know if it's just, like I said, this past week, my dad's passing. And I know Richard's dad's funeral is this week. You know, and, <clears throat> you know, and the bottom line is that last stanza. The saved ones will live forever up in Hallelujah Square. Amen? Amen. 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 <sighs> oh, if that's out. <laughs> See, this morning I had to hold the pulpit with my vertigo because I didn't want to tip over and fall off. and It's one thing to be singing standing, holding something. It's another thing to have to keep singing, laying on the ground in front of you. Then you go. He is crazy. But anyways, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. We're going to be actually there to camp out for a couple of weeks I believe. <clears throat> and by the way, Lily, I read your letter to the President. Very well articulated. And uh, it's good job. Way to go. We'll see if we get a response back. God moved her last week just through the message, and she fired off a letter to the president, and I was like, yay, Lily. And all you graduates out there, how cool is that, huh? And the parents, that's a good job, man. I remember high school, especially ninth grade. That was the best four years of my life. That was was a good time. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Let's read down through it. God bless you. And those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now remember, it wasn't that they called Stephen names. No, they took him out of the city and they pummeled him to death with rocks. They stoned him till death. And after that, the people realized, you know, what? we need to get out of here. They're after us as well. And so they scattered abroad and they traveled, verse 19, as far as Phoenicia. Remember, that's... Sir, Sire, Tyre, and uh, Le- uh, Beirut, the Lebanese border, and Cyprus, that's an island out in the Mediterranean, In Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only, because they thought this was a Jewish mes- message. But some of them were men from Cyprus, from the island, and some were from Cyrene. Cyrene is uh, Libya today, northern Africa. And uh, we know the Benghazi, it's right in that general area, actually. And these men said, who when they had come to Antioch, so they didn't go to North Africa, they went north to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. The Hellenists were not people that believed in hell. These were people that spoke Greek. And they were Jews, they were Hellenists. They were Greek-speaking Jews rather than Arabic or Hebrew. And it says, the hand of the Lord, oops, excuse me, preached to Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And by the way, notice how many greats we'll see through our text. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. They were going one direction in life. They put their faith in Christ said, you know what? I'm not going this direction. Now I'm going this direction and I'm going to follow the Lord. And then it says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So 300 miles south, they heard about what was happening in Antioch. And they, the church of Jerusalem, sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Go up to Antioch, see what's going on. Verse 23, When he came and he had seen the grace of God, and we'll cover that a little later, He was glad and he encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. Now he's not talking about losing their salvation. He said, you know what, you're on the right path, chase the Lord. That literally what it means chase after the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Now remember, Tarsus was northwest and so he went northwest looking, did I just skip a whole verse? I did. That's okay. We'll back up. Verse 24. Meaning, speaking of Barnabas, for he was a good man. Well, you know when God says you're a good man, you're a good man. When God says you're a good woman, you're a good woman. You know that? That's Because that's judged by God's standards not man's standards. So God, looking at Barnabas, said, you know what? He is a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great Many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. So he went northwest, about three hundred, uh, about two hundred twenty kilometers, uh, a little over hundred some miles, on foot, to seek Saul. He found him, verse twenty-six, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that the whole, for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught, and a great many people. And the disciples first were called Christians in Antioch. So that's where we got our title as Christians, was this city of Antioch. And in these days, during the same time what's going on in Antioch, prophets, plural, came from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they made a 320-mile journey north to the city of Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and he showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world now this literally means their known world every region they know of which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar and remember in these days of Claudius he's up beating up the uh, British Isles the Welsh and he's he's conquering the east or the western part of the Roman Empire but during that time a famine takes place then the disciples each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So each one, they didn't all give the same amount, each one gave different as they were able to do. But they did it, sending it to Judea for relief. This they also did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. As we come to my message this morning, our message The message is the kingdom components of a vibrant church. Components of a vibrant church. Components are the things that go into something to make it what it is. When we think of baking a cake, there we don't call them components, we call them ingredients. Same idea, that which goes into it to make it what it is. When we think of building a car, there are components that go into that car to make it what it is. When it comes to this church, a vibrant church of Antioch, I started reading through this, and the more I read through it, the more, you know, I just was well, maybe 40,000 foot, and I just kind of went over it, and then I kept going over it, and then all these things just started rising to the surface, and I started to realize, I said, you know what? This church, I mean, this is a church that, that they had it. They knew it. They were doing it. This wasn't a church that just hung out and came together and said, "This is cool." And, you know, we we punch our spiritual clock. This was a church that was vibrant. They were doing things. People were getting saved. People were growing. People were getting taught. Uh, finances were being sent on a mission down to Judea to help people in need. So they were. This is a church that was alive. It was vibrant. It was growing. And and I looked at this and I said. You know what? This is what we want to be. This is what we ought to be. And I'm also reminded that a church is not the building. Amen? Amen. This is just the building. The church is the called out assembly. It's the people. You and I are the church. So the, the church is going to be vibrant when you and I are vibrant. The church is going to be alive if you and I are alive. The church is going to be active and growing if you and I are growing. Do you understand this? When I talk about a vibrant church, I'm not just talking about the body as a whole. I'm talking about individually. If I'm not vibrant, if I'm not growing, if I'm not in tune with God, then I'm not going to be adding to the vibrancy of the church. If I'm in in a uh, neutral mode, if I'm coasting, if I'm just a casual Christian... If I settle for mediocrity, then I add to any mediocrity that may be in the church. Are you with me on this? So when I look at this, I, I had to say, it's a vibrant church, but, but the church are the individuals that make the body. And so what are these components that made this church and made these people what they are? And then I, I went through this, and the Lord just started surfacing the components to a vibrant church or a vibrant Christian. And first of all, the first vibrant, the the first component to a vibrant church is God. You see, when we think of that, you say, well, duh, wouldn't God have to be a church? Well, let me tell you something, there's a lot of churches where God is not present. But the first component is God. And I started looking down through the text, and these verses, you can start seeing God throughout the text as Janet pulls it up to the next verse. Thank you, Janet, thank you. You start looking through and God started showing me verse 19, 26, you see the Word of God. Verse 20, you'll see the Son of God. Verse 21, you see the hand of God. Verse 23, you see the grace of God. Verse 24, will speak about the Spirit of God. Verses 19 to 30, or excuse me, verse 24 again, you'll see the Spirit of God. Then the gifts of God, 19 through 30. The grace of God, verse 23, I think I skipped it. And then you see the servants of God all through the text. So you see all these things that are connected to God. And so if you're going to see God, if you're going to understand his vibrancy and his working, then you look at the components that God put in to this body of Christ. The second component not only related to God, the second component related to God's people. You see, as I read through this, God started showing me and surfacing all these things of God. And then he started speaking to me about the people of this church. And these people and where they are from and their backgrounds as well. And so we'll start working through these different verses as we consider the next slide. Ding! Who are the people? The people have made up this church. There were those who went to Antioch, verse 19. In other words, they were down in Jerusalem, they were down in, in Israel, and they went from here, 300 miles north, to the city called Antioch. This wasn't their hometown, uh, they migrated, if you will, to this area of Antioch. Just like in Brown County. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but people moved to Brown County. Now, if you're young, you can't wait to move out of Brown County. But as soon as you're old enough to appreciate it, you can't wait to move back to Brown County. Is that true? Because I'll tell you what, uh, there's something to be said in uh, small-town America, if you will. But this is, hey, to me, this is paradise, man. I'm like, yay, I got deer walk through my yard. It's all I need. Well, it's not all I need, but you know, it's right up there. So we have those who went to Antioch. We also saw those who were saved at Antioch. In verse 21, these people were not transplants from another country that moved up there. These are people that lived there. They lived in that county, lived in the city. They grew up there. Who knows how long they had been there. Maybe they moved there earlier. Maybe they've been there their whole life. But this body here at Antioch was made up of those from elsewhere. and It was made up from those who were saved there. It was also made up of one who was sent to Antioch verse 22 you read about Barnabas it means son of encouragement every church needs a son of encouragement don't they maybe that's you are you the encouraging one the one who the, gives the affirmation they said you know what we got a new church up here and we need someone to go up there and encourage them and probably every eye in the Jerusalem church looked over Barnabas and said how about you Barnabas and hey, you know what? He was all for it. He's like, "All right, I'm going." And so there was one that was sent to Antioch, verse twenty-two. Then we see one that was recruited to go to Antioch, and that was uh, Saul, verse twenty-six. Barnabas went up to Tarsus. He walked. Now, if it was a steady, non-stop walk, it's forty-six hours. But I'm sure he spent probably a good three days up and over those mountains, all along the coast, around the Mediterranean, until he got to Tarsus. And so he went all the way there, he looked for Saul, then he recruited him, saying, hey listen, Saul, these people really need us back there, they're new believers, and and they need those of us who have been saved to help them and teach them. And so he recruited Saul to go down to Antioch. By the way, do you remember how the Christians got to Antioch? In verse 19, because at the persecution of Stephen, they fled and made it to Antioch. Remember that? Who were they being persecuted by? The guy that Barnabas just recruited. Saul, you're the reason we had to move to Antioch. Oh yeah, I know. But let's talk about God. <laughs> let's put the past in the past. So you see, this, this person Saul gets recruited to go to Antioch. And then we see in verse twenty-seven, prophets plural that were in Jerusalem that then went up to Antioch. And so these prophets go up there. And then we see a change in direction. Everything's flowing towards Antioch, and then by the time we get to verse thirty, things start flowing away from Antioch, because then uh, those at the church of Antioch sent, and it's the same word apostle, sent Barnabas and Saul. The two best teachers, the two most mature believers that have been saved much longer than they had, the, the, that church sends them down to Jerusalem to help the believers down in Jerusalem. So you see this church, I mean, there's a lot of activities going on just with the people and who's coming in and then who's doing what and who's going out and who's being recruited. And, and I think of that with our church. There's people in all different backgrounds here. There are people that have been moved out, moved here from out of state There are people that moved here just within the county. There are people that lived here their whole life. There are people that have been transplanted from other planets here. (laughs) I won't give names. That would be me. No. I just see if you're paying attention. But we're made of a a mixed group, aren't we? Aren't we? I mean, you talk about eclectic. Community is very eclectic, and 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 that's why I like it. You know, we're we're the church of the misfit toys. The Lord just brings us all together and says, "I'm going to use you, I'm going to I'm going to fix you, and I'm going to use you, and you have a purpose in life." One of the co- components was God, was people, and then the Lord showed me another component throughout the whole text, and it's spiritual gifts. Throughout this whole text, there were spiritual gifts, and I was missing them at first. The Lord said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Tim, slow down. Look at the spiritual gifts that are being used. And there were those that were that were stated gifts, and then those that were implied. Stated gifts, if you were to work down through the text, would be the next slide. There we go. Verse 21, evangelism. They preached the word of God. They evangelized them. Stated gift, also verse 22 and verse 30 in the Greek, is the word apostle. Jerusalem church sent sent out Barnabas. That was the apostolic ministry. We have this ministry for you. You are a sent out one. We're going to get into these uh, gifts later. And then they apostolic Barnabas and Saul to go down to uh, Jerusalem. We then see the gift of encouragement, verse 23, with Barnabas. He used his spiritual gift and encouraged the church. We also see the gift of faith. Not only was Barnabas encouraging them and full of the Holy Spirit, but he used his gift of faith. He believed things for that church that maybe they didn't even believe or know of at the time. Then we see in verse 26, the gift of teaching. Paul and Barnabas spent a year teaching them and helping the church. Verse 27, we'll see the gift of prophecy. And not just ones but many prophets, plural, rose up. And they went up to Antioch, and they used their gift. And we're only told of one of the multiple prophets, Agabus. And he's going to use his uh, gift of prophecy to tell them about a great famine that will come. And it will come in the fourth year of Claudius Caesar. We'll get into that another time. But we also see the gift of giving. You say, well, wait, I almost missed that. Wait, the Lord said, "Oh well, wait a minute. Don't you see this is a gift of giving? They were, they were blessed by the fact that the Church of Jerusalem blessed them and helped them with the teacher and then they realized, hey, the Church of Jerusalem needs help and we need to encourage them and use our gift and we need to by faith believe that, you know, this may not be much but it's all that I'm able to do and I'm going to help and I'm going to give and I'm send it down to send relief down to Judea. And so all through these, when you add them all up, it, you know, that's kind of how I put it together in the next slide. You'll see the components to a vibrant church. Isn't there another slide out there? Isn't there one that says God? No. Oh, these are the implied gifts. Oh yeah, wow, there's more than I even thought I knew. What's that? Did I skip that one first service? Hey, yeah, I had vertigo. What could I do? I'm doing better. Implied gifts. In other words, it's not stated there, but verse 25 was wisdom. Barnabas says, hey, I can't do this alone. i got to go get help. And with that, verse 25, discernment, who should I go to get? I need to go get Saul. And then you see the gift of knowledge. If you're going to be a teacher there, the implied gift is a gift of knowledge, verse 26. You have to know the Word to teach the Word. Right? And I'm afraid, some people say, well, I don't know the, the Word as well as so-and-so, so I can't teach. You know the the art of being able to teach somebody? All you need to know is more than the one you're talking to. It's not too difficult, is it? So I could probably teach first grade, I hope. Now, I don't know when I get started getting up into algebra, trade, calculus, stuff Yeah, that. That's gotta go on to someone else. But but there's a you know an ability that each one of us have, and you know, if you, you can teach the word of God, when you are first saved as a new believer, you know what? You can teach the word of God. But all you may be able to teach is how to get saved. But that's the most important part, isn't it? <laughs> you teach what you know. You take what you know and then you transmit it. And so but there are those who also have a gift of knowledge. They they they, they dig deep into the word and they know it and, and God just blesses them with knowledge. And I'm praying for that gift. I, I can't even spell knowledge. I'll spell it sometimes and spell check changes and go, hey. I'm I'm hooked on phonics. Which upsets me because it's not even spelled phonetically. <laughs> I keep spelling it with an F. Anyways. Then there's the implied gift of serving. All through it, they were serving each other. They used a the gift of helps to serve. So the stated gifts, implied gifts, and then all together, I think, the next slide, components of a vibrant church are the following. What are the components? God, plus people... Using their spiritual gifts equals a vibrant church. Are you with me on Pretty simple components. If you want to have a vibrant church, then these components, these ingredients must be present. Not just in the body as a whole. They have to be present in your life. They have to be present in my life. I have to be present in sense that God has got to be there. I have to be available. I have to be using my spiritual gift that was given to me. And if we were all using our spiritual gifts, we would be a vibrant, living church. Amen? How many enjoy going to dead churches? How many ever been to a dead church? Oh, yeah. I grew up in one. Oh, my goodness. And lived to tell about it. And I remember early on, I mean, the best the best memory I have in church was when my friend Skippy. We had names like that back then. When Skippy passed out during the service and whacked his nose in the pew in front of it. <laughs> I was like, wow. That was awesome. Because then we got to scoop Skippy up and take him out of church. And I didn't understand the Latin Mass anyway, so it was just like, anyone else sat through a Latin Mass before? Oh yeah, some was. When it's all in Latin, it's like you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, Skippy passed out. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that's bad, but where was I? You know what's hard about Skippy? I'm trying to find him. I'm trying to remember his real name. I'm trying to find him on Facebook. Nobody goes by Skippy when, once you get 20, I guess. But living, vibrant. Do you have a vibrant Christian life? Does your Christian life have life to it? And if it has life, is it a small L or a capital L? Is it life or is it life more abundant you know, see there, there's degrees of this life and we could just have life but the Lord wants to have life and he said man I want you to be alive I want you to, to, to be alive why because life begets life if you want a lively church if you want a church with life then you and I must be alive amen and not just alive as I'm blinking alive but alive as in, man, I am vibrantly alive. I have vigor. I'm, I'm like, man, I, I don't know about you. I like to be around alive people and where life is. Don't you? I mean, come on. On Friday night, when you're looking for something to do, you're looking to say, what's going on? Where's some life? Let's go to a restaurant. Well, what restaurant would you like to go to? Let's go to that lousy, dead restaurant that no one goes to. Do you do that? No, you say, man, I want to go to a good restaurant, wherever that might be. And and I've even been doing Thai food. My wife loves Thai. So we go over there and Thai one on. Thai. But it's okay. There's a lot of people there. We go we want to we want to go to his life. We went to the movies last night. I know I'm recovering, Baptist. <laughs> but we went to X-Men. It's weird. It's a, you know, it's the same. You've seen them always, but just keep seeing them, you know? <laughs> but there was life there. You know where we don't typically go on Friday night to hang out? We don't typically go to the graveyard. You can sit around there. It's not very fun. Not much going on. Not conversations lousy. People are dying to get in. in. (laughs) But a big Andy. (laughs) That's why they put a fence around it. We know it. (laughs) But we go where there's life, don't you? And you know, we as a church, if we want people to come and experience God in our church, then know this. They want to go where there's life. Amen? And they want to go where they know that it's not just human life, but God's life welling up inside of us and, and giving us vibrancy. And that we're not just a dud, spud, dent in a pew on Sunday, which sometimes we can do. I don't know. I've been that way. I just punch my spiritual clock, show up. Man, mean, I, I took a two-year sabbatical... Five, six years ago. Just before I came here, I was on, I took a sabbatical for two years. I couldn't wait to get in the back row. I wanted to see what all the appeal was. Something's got to be cool back. I'm going to be the backseat Baptist, man. Sit back there and say, couldn't handle it, though. Too much distractions. I'm watching everybody doing this, or doing this, or doing that. So the Lord says, Tim, you get distracted too easy. I'm going to move you to the front. So that's why he puts me... And, and we're all part of the body of Christ. I happen to be the mouth. I understand. So, but life. Don't you want to be part of a living church? A lively church? Don't, don't make me come down here. Don't you? Then if you want a church that's alive and vibrant, then I got news for you. That means you have to be alive and vibrant. Right? And I have to be alive and vibrant. And it's not something that I can manufacture. It's not something I can just make happen. It's something that God can make happen in me and through me. And the more I think of the number one crucial component to a vibrant church, the more I realize that without that component, there will be no life. And that number one crucial component to a vibrant church is God. As I mentioned, it's God. Because without God, it's a dead church. Because God is life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If I'm not in it, there's no life. And there are a lot of churches in our landscape here and around this world that I'm sad to say, God is not in it. He's not there. It's like the scripture said, Ichabod, the spirit has departed. And they don't even know it. And you say, well, man, isn't that a little harsh? Okay, maybe it is. But I'll tell you what, why don't we just let God speak for himself? 1 Timothy, chapter 4. I don't know about you, but I believe we are living in the, closer to the Lord's return. Anyone believe that we're living at least much closer to the Lord's return today than we were yesterday? <laughs> we are, we're closer. And I'll tell you what, you look at what's going along. Well, here's a message to our day and age in First Timothy chapter 4. And it's interesting because it says, now the Spirit... Speaks expressively. Now the Spirit expressively says this. In other words, he's not just casually saying He is laying it out there. And he speaks saying this. That in the latter times. Do you believe you're living in the latter times? Okay, then it would apply to us. Some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In other words, giving heed means they, they move towards it. When, when the light turns red, you give heed to it, you stop. When it goes green, you give heed, you go. When these deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons come their way, they yield to that. And it says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. They say one thing, they do another thing. Having their own conscience, conscience means with knowledge. Seared with a hot iron. In other words, they know these things, and yet they're seared through. It's burned right through. And in their day and age, it says this, and in the latter times, forbidding to marry. Interesting how one of the first things says marriage will come under attack. Is that happening in our culture today? I I didn't write this. And also, commanding to abstain from foods... Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Do you believe and know the truth? Then that means you can eat anything. Hallelujah. Isn't it amazing that food comes under attack? Why? Because even in their day and age, they could not eat certain foods. They had dietary restrictions. And then, and while you and I can enjoy a lobster dinner, if you like lobster. If you don't like lobster, well, just give it to me. <laughs> they couldn't eat lobster. It was a crustacean. is means ecto, exoskeletal. The skeletons on the outside. They couldn't eat clams. They couldn't eat things like rabbits. They couldn't, you know, I know you're fur. You don't want to eat them anyways. But the Bible says, all these things. Now, I, I may have trouble with the word all. All things were created and you can eat them. You may not want to eat them. But he says, as long as you eat it with thanksgiving, it's got God's blessing. In other words, what do you want? Do you want God to say it's okay, or do you want man to say it's okay? Do you want God to say it's okay, or do you want culture, or religion, or tradition to say it's okay? The question is, who are you going to side with on this? So God said, there's going to be these issues, and you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to side with me, or side with them? And verse 5 he said, for it, this food, is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. In other words, God said it is, and you thanked him for it. I thought it interesting, verse 6 said, if you instruct the brethren, which brethren? The brethren in these latter times, in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine, which we had carefully followed. Like I said, I'm always concerned when someone tells me that we're, our church doesn't believe in doctrine. We're not all about the doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. And when they say, we're not about the doctrine, that means we're not about teaching the Word of God. May it never be said here. Amen? When we look at the scripture, he says, in, in those times, there's going to be people who say, no, 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 those, those, doctr- those Bible teachings, no. We have other teachings. Second Timothy, just to clarify the point. Chapter 3. He says, now, or but know this, that in the last days, do you believe we're living in the last days? So it must be us. Perilous times will come. Are we in perilous times? Yeah. I don't know about you. It doesn't look like things are going from good to better to best. Right? Perilous times have come. What will they look like? Verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. I mean, it's all about them, man. I mean, they are build themselves up. Blasphemers. Is anybody blaspheming God lately? Just saw the atheist rally they had the other day, protesting someone they don't even believe in. With the big signs that said, impeach God. Really? (laughs) Psalm 2 says, and God sits in the heavens and laughs and puts them in derision. (laughs) He's like, are you kidding me? Who's going to call the court in this session? Right? I mean, who's going to call God to the witness stand? Who's going to impeach God? Okay. Disobedient to parents. All oh, the parents love that. Wow, that's awesome. That's in there. See, it's in the Bible. you got to obey me. It is. But it also includes unthankful. The way God does things in our life, and we're not thankful for it. Or unholy. There's times that we should live separated and we're not living separated. Unloving. We don't share the love of Christ with others because, well, we need people who rise to our standards before we love them. Let me tell you something. God's standard is Jesus Christ and none of us could rise to that standard. Yet by grace, He chose to love us. Amen? Hallelujah for they're also going to be unforgiving. In the last days, perilous times, people do bad things. They do it even when it's not perilous. People are going to hurt you. The question is not, will you get hurt? The question is, will you forgive them? Or will you act like others in perilous times? Well, they'll be unforgiving. Slanders, bad-mouthing. Without self-control. <laughs> wow, that says a lot. Let me tell you, we are out of control. We are crazy going out of control. Are we not? I was reading something this week about a group called the Human Pups. Anyone ever heard of the Human Pups? It's crazy. I'm <laughs> like, it's got to be two or three people who stepped off the planet. These things happen. No it's a group of about 10,000 people that believe that there are actually animals trapped in a human body 10,000 and they actually don and put on rubber clothes that look like a dalmatian or look like a cat or and they have handlers and when they get off their work and I'm talking professional jobs they get off work They will, their handlers will take them out. I hope they're not doing anything when they're taking them out. But they take them out. They eat out of dog dishes. They, they'll bark. They'll nibble on your clothes. Some of them get in trouble. Oh, you know somebody? So like, hey, we know. Oh, someone is trapped. Your husband is trapped in it. What is he? What animal? A dog inside of him. His bark's worse than his bite. And, you for them too? <laughs> but, yes, yes, they're called fire hydrants, but uh, we had those. No, it, and we sit back, we go, are we losing our minds or what? Yes. 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 And and this is this is a growing. It's not just a. Weird thing. I mean, it is, but but it's it's a growing thing. New York State has now named 31 genders. How can you do that? Don't you know it's 3 minus 1 equals genders? Right? 31. mamma mia. I can only imagine the closer we get to perilous times. (laughs) Brutal. Even come, Lord Jesus. Amen. But I want to tell you something. You and I are custom designed to live in the time that we're in. We are custom designed. God could have put anybody in this time period. He put you and I here. Because we live in the culture, but we must not be of the culture. But God said, but this is what the culture looks like. And sad to say, he said, this is what the church is looking like. Because he goes on to say, they're brutal, despisers of good. Who would ever despise good? You would think, hey, that was good. They go, well, you did something good. That's terrible that you did something good. I hate the fact that you do th- good things. So they call that which is good, evil. And they call that which is evil, good. And it's a reverse polarity. And it's taught... Right from the littlest kids, it started being taught right on through every grade level. Traitors. Headstrong. Praise the Lord, we're not headstrong, huh? Amen. Haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There's nothing wrong with loving pleasure. Nothing wrong with going out and having a good time and take the boat out or go skiing. I don't know if I ski. Well, you can on a boat. They go together. There's nothing wrong with having a good time, you know, framing up some building or apartment, whatever you like doing for a good time. But when that replaces God, you've got a problem. They were lovers of pleasure more than they were lovers of God. Now here's the kicker. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Paul said Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, the Jew first, and also to the Gentiles, the Greeks. So, he said, they had a form of godliness. They wanted to look like they're godly, but they deny the very thing that would make them godly, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, they want to be godly, want to be religious, and yet, the Lord says, it's only a form, because they deny the power, and he says, of such people, turn away. Turn away. Why? Because it's contagious. He says, if, if they start abandoning God, which is the most critical and crucial part of any vibrant church, once you abandon God, you abandon the power of God, you abandon all these other attributes of God, and you are not left with life, you are left with death. And in the last days, the perilous days, the scripture says, that's a direction that the church is going. Friends, here at New Life, we need to realize, like this church, that God has to be the critical component of this church. It's got to be about God. And I say, well, how do you see God? You know, just to say God is very nebulous. Well, it's all things about God. And I'm just going to close with the one thing that stood out was the Word of God. The Word of God. This church believed in God because they believed in what God said. They believed in the very Word of God. Verse 19, they proclaimed it. Verse 26, they were teaching it. They This this church, was. they didn't look like God. They didn't look like a church. They didn't just have the appearance. They were filled with God because they were filled with the Word of God. You could see that God was there because you could see the Word of God was there. Listen, if the Word of God is not present in that church, God is not present in that church. Because you're building it on something else and it's sinking sand. These people believe the Word of God. They proclaim the Word of God. They preach the Word of God. They share the Word of God. They esteem the Word of God as the final authority on faith and conduct. They said, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it's not going to be part of our church. Amen? We need to get to that point where we obey it as the very words that are coming out of God, because that's what the word inspired means, the very breath of God. And we need to realize that without the Word of God, you don't have the power of God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And without the Word of God, people cannot be saved. Without the word of God, people cannot grow. Without the word of God, God's presence will not be felt, sensed, or seen in any form in any church without the word of God. And that's why he warned these churches. And he warned those who departed from teaching the word of God. His churches down right on through the church of Laodicea. He said, be careful of the false doctrine, the deceiving spirits. And by the way, the demons' doctrine, the doctrines of demons, are not some horrendous evil thing that we would think of, like, you know, human sacrificing and stuff like that. It's not what he's talking about. You know what the doctrine of demons are? It's that when you take God's doctrine and twist it just a little bit. You have just enough truth in there that people accept it. And they don't realize that baked within that cake is just a little bit of arsenic. It's just enough to kill you. And Adam and Eve in the garden. When God said, don't eat of this fruit lest you die. What, the devil comes along? Did he give some demonic doctrine over here? Well, it was, but he just changed by taking the word of God. he said, well, God did not say you'll surely die. You know, it's not really. He just knows when you eat that you will be as God, and that that lie is even persistent today. And there, there's those I won't get into all that stuff, that that believe that we can be as God even on this planet. That lie continues today. But to take something in the Word of God and they twist it just a little bit, and they'll say, "Well, this is this is how how it really is." No, you're misunderstanding this. Remember, by the way, one of the things under attack was marriage. People say, you're, you're misunderstanding this. This is, God's not against homosexuality. God, God is all for it. It's about love, long as you love one another. I know some like, say, oh, he's not going there. Yes, I'm going there. Because in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. Right? And Jesus, then, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, was it not so that in the beginning, he didn't even name them. He said, God made male and female and the two shall become one. So God defines what marriage is. But we say, well, you know, it's not about that. It is about that. God will define it, and then he gives the purpose to it, that they may procreate, in other words, have children, and fill the earth. He said, this is my design. And then the, the doctrine and teaching of the devil will get in there and say, well, no, 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 it's not about that. It's not about the gender. you got 31, you got 32 Baskin-Robin genders. It's not about the gender, it's just about as long as you love one another. And I know some of you think, oh, he, he's, he must be, uh, what is it, homophobia, homophobic, whatever it is. Let me tell you something. I love him. I do love him. I love him in Christ. My mother's one of them. Bet you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> yeah. I love her to death, I'll do anything for her. But she knows, Mom, I can't change my position because I can't change the Word of God. And you can take whatever position you want, but I'm going to stand on the Word of God. And that's not to disrespect my mother. I respect my mother. I love my mother. And I'll tell you what, you may have kin yourself. Then They may may be mixed up. They may not know what gender they are. It's not that difficult to find out, by the way. But don't hate them. Love them. Our society where the little kids are mixing up their minds and getting so confused as teenagers, and on and on, and, and they don't know what in the world's going on in their mind, and they're believing this deceiving lies. And they say, "No, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah uh, because because that was that was bad homosexuality, because it, it was gang rape." They said that's why He destroyed them. Well, if that's the reason. Because the angels came and that's what their intentions were then in that city of Gomorrah, then why did he also then destroy Sodom over there? Why? And by the way, you read through the Old Testament. Just before the armies came in from Assyria, just before they came in from Babylon, just before they went into captivity, every time it'll say, and there were Sodomites in the land. And then judgment came on Israel. Every time. Today's poll, 76%. 76% of Israelis believe that it's okay to males, men and men and women and women, and on it goes. 76%. I just saw the poll came out. 200,000 rallying in Tel Aviv this week. And it's... Let me tell you something. And I know it's recorded. Homosexuality is just as much a sin as lying as drunkenness, as whatever it is. And you could say, well, they were born that way. Let me tell you something. We were all born totally depraved. All of us were born broken. All of us. And I'm Irish. I know all the areas I was broken. (laughs) And yet God fixes our brokenness. And I know men and women of God that came out of that culture. Listen, all you got to do is read 1 Corinthians And he'll say, and such were some of you. But you are saved, you are sanctified, you are cleansed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Praise God for that. And we need to be a church that's a loving church to anyone and everyone, and whosoever will may come. Amen? Because I sure want my mom to come someday. Someday I'm believing she's going to come hear me preach. Speaking of which, next Sunday we're going to change. Be careful. We're going to have a few songs at the beginning and then I'm going to preach and then the worship community will be the second half. Because my mom, who's almost 80, is going to be flying in at 1 o'clock and can't hear too well and needs someone to pick her up at the airport. And I don't want to just say, Oh, Mom, just follow the crowd. They'll take you to your bags. So if i got to be at the airport by 1 o'clock, that means we've got to be out of here now. That doesn't mean you can boogie when I boogie, but you guys. Travis is like, oh no, then they're all going to leave us. No, we we know better. We know how much you love God and love to worship God. Amen. See, see, Travis, don't worry. Now, we do need to get out of here today. We're going to finish this up. You see all those components that we see listed? We'll be here a week or two on these different components. But let's stand together. Father, Your word is under attack today. Whether it's commandments taken out of justice departments, whether in God we trust wanting to be off the currency. these, These are minor things of a greater issue. And the greater issue is the word of God is under attack. The people of God are going to have to stand up and take a stand. And we're either going to stand with you and live vibrant lives that are unashamed. Or we're going to cave and give in to these deceiving spirits. And we're going to give in to things that the world says no change to us. We say no. We even have to change to the word of God. Father, work in our midst today. Speak to those that are here. Maybe there's some that are not saved yet. Maybe there's some that are in different lifestyles, maybe mentioned, maybe not mentioned today. That, Father, they just need to be delivered just as I was delivered. And we were all delivered out of our lifestyle. And my lifestyle was appalling to you. My lifestyle before I was saved was an abomination. But yet, Lord, you saved me. You could save all of us. And you loved all of us, even in our broken condition. You love, love, love us. And you offer salvation to every single one of us. Help us, Lord, to be a vibrant church, alive for you.